This is the Cotswolds People podcast, brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers. My name's Alistair, and throughout this podcast, I'm going to be speaking with a variety of very special guests from the worlds of business, sports, music, literature, politics, and many more, all of whom have a connection to the Cotswolds area of outstanding natural beauty. Do please leave us a review or rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear our latest guest interviews. This week, I speak with the CEO of English Football League Two's Forest Green Rovers, Henry Stalins. Forest Green are unique in that they are the first club on the planet to be certified carbon neutral by the United Nations and were also described by FIFA as the greenest football club in the world. They're also the only vegan football club in the world. This conversation took place whilst still in lockdown following the coronavirus pandemic, so it's recorded remotely using Zoom, and we jump straight in with how a football CEO has been working in the current challenging environment. It's been really fascinating for me. I've found it, despite the fact that it's, it's a horrible situation, I've found it from a business point of view um, a really interesting challenge and hopefully obviously one that we won't get again. Um, but trying to diversify in an industry that is quite obvious in terms of what our main revenue is, it's football and what, what the main intrigue is, is try and um, diversify and keep revenue coming in um, when you can't work without your main products. So it's been a really interesting time. So, yeah, lots of ideas. We're planning with no idea of really what's going to happen for the rest of the season or next season, um, but also trying to make sure that we're commercially savvy throughout this period. And so we're in a really good position when football does come back on. Is, is match day revenue, is that the biggest percentage of your income or are you able to try and tap into other streams you know a bit more to try and compensate for it at all that's an interesting question actually it's something we've been looking at a lot um so the average percentage to revenue uh, in the english football league is about 32 percent for match day okay. um ours is closer to 20 to 25 percent so we've not been as hit hard by that as others um our main revenue is sponsorship because of our green ethos we are a um a really good place for sort of environmentally conscious companies to align with so match day for us is probably about 60 grand per match three games at home per per month so it's a lot of money but in terms of revenue split it's a lot less than other clubs so we're quite fortunate in that sense yeah you are fortunate in that and as we'll talk about the green side of the uh the club um, a bit later on obviously in terms of the current situation i know Premier League gets a lot of attention because of the sheer sort of global size and reach of it. In terms of the Football League itself and communication with other teams and stakeholders, etc., how have you found that? Has it been a constant dialogue? Have you been, you know, kept up to date well? Or you feel in the dark? How's it? How's it been going? It's a bit of everything. I, I change my mind on it most most days. I think the first thing I'd say is that this has brought clubs much more closely together than anything else. In the past, clubs are very um, tribal. There's certain clubs you get on with, there's certain clubs you don't, um, as there is at any level. But throughout this, there's even things like there's a, there's a WhatsApp group between all chief executives that's never been there before. There's weekly um, Zoom meetings with the EFL to keep us abreast of the situations. So it's actually brought the, everyone together. And coming out of this, what it has done is stimulated a conversation around sustainability in football in terms of finances football's well known to be one of those places where losses are almost expected and then accepted which is, is crazy really moving forward what this has done is said right we're in a situation now where a lot of clubs are potentially on the brink because of covid but once we get through this we need to make sure that we're never on the brink again it's been an interesting time the communication's been good the only thing i will say is that between our first match being postponed on the 14th of march to now 
there's still no concrete decisions on what's happening with football. When you look at that, it's almost two months without an actual decision, which I think is probably too long. Yeah, I mean, it just keeps getting put back and, and put back. I mean, obviously in, in Germany, I guess the Bundesliga, the top league, they're starting, aren't they, in a, in a week or so. Would you like to see the season finish or would you want some people obviously saying, you know, a point per game basis? Do you have a preference at all? Yeah, the season has to finish um, for me personally. And I think that's been shared by our chairman, uh, Dale Vince. It's almost inconceivable that you can do a points per game basis for me because if I look at some of the the clubs at the bottom who have got a lot more riding on this than what we have, um, let's say there's two clubs at the bottom. One of those clubs might have a really easy run in. The other club may have already played all the bigger teams. It's a, it's a really hard one. You can't do it on a points. Everyone has to play everyone, uh, either at least once or, or, or ideally twice, obviously. So it, for me, we'd rather the season be finished behind closed doors. That will still bring some revenue. It will still bring um, engagement to people that are missing football madly and give them something to watch at home because the plan would be that every single match would be available, uh, either on TV or on stream. Fans can still have their match day, but from the comfort of their own home, so as long as we can do it safely, of course, yeah. But I think we want the season back on. Yeah, and when you say behind closed doors, you mean at you know at the actual home grounds rather than neutral venues, which is another thing that's been talked about, isn't it? I don't see how it's much safer. Let's say it's a new, unless we're all going to stay in a hotel on site, we're still going to have to travel to that neutral ground. However many times I think we've got twelve games left or so, um, maybe eleven. So I think as long as stadiums are safe and there's only a certain amount of people let in, and those people are in a controlled environment, have been training in a controlled environment then it should be done in, in the venues. Of course, it's a lot easier for the Premier League um, to maybe hold it somewhere like St George's Park or Wembley. But for for us, it just I just can't see a viable destination. So if we're going to do it and if it can be safe, it should be at, um, at the home grounds. Yeah, no, it does make sense to me. And you mentioned TV as well. Obviously, normally games aren't sort of generally streamed live. Is that something you think might, this might change? I mean, I know obviously you want bums on seats because that's your revenue but do you think there's another in the future that might change in terms of how people watch football so the rules at the moment on streaming at our level um i think the whole you know all all the uh, all the efl clubs is the same um international fans can stream any games so saturdays or tuesdays um but uk fans can only stream tuesday evenings um the obvious reasoning for that is that the fear is that if fans are streaming games on saturdays and they won't bother turning up to the game so this would be a different way of doing it. It would be saying that all games are available to stream. It might be five quid, it might be 10 quid. It might be knocked off their, the remaining season ticket value that they've got, which is another, uh, another headache in, in a way. Um, so I think it will change things going forward. Uh, we've got a really good international fan base. We've got over 100 international fan clubs, which for a League Two club is, is, is quite startling. So yeah, we'll do well revenue-wise off it. Um, probably bring in probably seven or eight grand a game, pure profit, which is obviously a lot less than a match day, but it's, it's a start. And obviously, up until the coronavirus started, um, for those people that aren't aware of the club's profile and your philosophy, are you able to just explain its green ethos and, and the background to it all? Forest Green, the, the club itself has been around since 1889, so it's an old league club. Um, up until the 2000s, it had never been in the... Um, sort of upper echelons of, of the sort of non-league system and it was in the National League. Dale Vince um, bought the club in 2010 and it eventually reached um, Football League status for the first time in I think 2016, 2017. Um, so it, it's gone from, it's a, you know, where we're, where we're based is in, in Nailsworth in Gloucestershire, a uh, population of around about 5,000. 
Um, so it's a very odd place to have a professional football team. So you see the, the team coaches coming from the likes of Bradford, uh, you know, uh, Plymouth, like huge clubs with huge followings, bringing their supporters, coaches and team coaches down a single track country lane to the new lawn is, is quite a fascinating sight. Um, the club, uh, obviously uh, owned by Dale Vince, uh, who also founded Green Energy in the UK, um, is basically run on, on the same green principles he runs all of his other businesses on. So that's powered by Green Energy from his own windmill, um, about 100 yards from the club. It's 100% vegan, which obviously we're mainly known for. We're powered, obviously, by the Green Energy or solar. We've got a solar mower and all the match day food for staff, players and fans is vegan, whether you're home or away and whether you like it or not. It's fantastic. And obviously, some of, the, I guess, the accolades, for want of a better word, is um, I guess FIFA's recognised as the greenest football club in the world. And obviously, part of the United Nations, you've been certified a carbon neutral as well, which is for football, like you say, is 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 unique, isn't it? Yeah, it, and that was Dale's whole thing: is when the club needed saving in 2010, he bought it. He quickly realised that actually, this is an opportunity to put the sustainability message in front of a whole new audience. Football fans had never had it put in front of them before. They're quite habitual in how they like to do things: meat pies, but beer, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, to get those accolades, the most simple one, like you said, is the greenest football club in the world by FIFA. But we are the only carbon neutral stadium. We were the first 100% vegan. And the, the press we get from it is absolutely crazy for a League Two club. I think last year our reach was over 4 billion viewers in our various press channels. So it, it's really sort of captured everyone's attention. And is that, you mentioned the international fan base you've got earlier. Is that on the sort of vegan side of it or the, the green or just the whole package? What's, where's sort of biggest interest come in? We're doing some stats on that at the moment. So we're reaching out to those fan clubs and asking them the really simple question, why did you start following Forest Green? And I haven't looked at the, at the data yet, but my guess would be probably 60 to 70% would be uh, have an environmental interest or be vegan or something really simple like that. The others would just be football fans that like to follow sort of small, quirky British teams. But we give them both. And obviously, the better our football gets, then the, the better it is for everyone. I mean, obviously, with pros and cons, you said it's, it can be quite traditional. I mean, when you travel to other clubs and indeed when you host, you know, you're at home, do you have much scepticism? Are people quite cynical sometimes? I think it's kind of almost gone past that. I think the beginning, well before my time, we were sort of the, the odd ones out in, in football. And we still are to a, to a certain extent. But I think people now realise why we do it. They're a lot more embracing of it. They realise that, They've only got to come to us once a season. They've only got to go vegan for 90 minutes out of 365 days. It's, it's not a big ask. And if they want to bring, you know, ginsters or uh, ham sandwiches, as we quite often see uh, put on social media, then that's fine. We're not, we're not preachy about it. It's just we're not going to serve, um, we're not going to serve meat effectively or, or animal products. So we're not preachy about it. It's how we think we should run the club. It's captured um, huge global interest and I think it's really well received now and a lot of clubs have a, have a, have a good relationship with us. And in terms of the, your plan longer term, you mentioned obviously Nels is a small area. Um, has obviously you've got league status now. H- have you noticed the gates increasing significantly from non-league to league? And then in terms of going forward, do you, are you trying to sort of scale it up? How, how, big can it, how big can it go? I think match day is probably the hardest thing for us to scale up because we are in Nailsworth, as you know, and we're and even more so we're in a, a difficult territory for football. Um, just down the road, you've got probably the, the biggest pull, which is Gloucester Rugby. Um, below us, you've got 
two Bristol teams. You've got Bristol rugby, you've got Bristol basketball, you've got all sorts. Um, so we're, we're averaging around about 2,800 fans per game. If it's a big game, so a Swindon or a Cheltenham or a, uh, a Plymouth, then we're looking at more like 4,500. I don't see that growing hugely whilst we're at our current stadium, um, just because of our location. But it's something we're working on. It's definitely gone up, but I don't see it peaking much past an average of 3,000 in our current stadium. Yeah, you mentioned current stadiums. Obviously, that brings it on nicely to plans for the new stadium. Do you want to talk to me about that? Yeah, so that's been in the works just to get planning consent for five years. So it will be called Eco Park. And I've got outlined planning consent from the council. It will be the world's first all-wooden stadium, which obviously is fascinating in its own right. And it's been designed by Zaha Hadid Architects. So they do some really cool, iconic structures, as I'm sure a lot of people will know about. So yeah, that, that's going to be an amazing thing. Uh, we've innovated so much with the sustainability that I think this was the natural progression. And making our own stadium now carbon neutral has been you know, a, a really big feat for us. But building one from the ground up that will have um, a really positive environmental impact and show what can be done with sustainable building materials will hopefully make others follow suit. And have you found there's been, because of it's so unique, that there's, you've been able to get a lot of interest in terms of, you mentioned the architects, but people wanting to be involved in the project? It's, it's, it must be a great thing to be involved in. We, we, um, and quite pleasing to me, we had um, a very, very large company offer to sponsor the, the naming, naming rights to the stadium five years in advance. They'd be paying for it now to have the naming rights, and they'd have, they'd have it five years between now and when it's built, and they'd have it five years uh, for the first five years, it's actually in operation. So, and that was a phenomenal amount of money that we were speaking about. But we're not ready to give away name rights at the moment. We're, it's not something we've really spoken about. It just lands on our table. So, I think uh, it's going to it's captured a huge amount of interest um, media-wise, but also commercially, it'll be it will really push us to a new level. We've almost reached our commercial capacity with sponsors at our current site. Um, but this new one-of-a-kind stadium will pull in some some really big hitters. So that's exciting. What are the longer term plans for the club as a whole? Obviously going up through the leagues. Do you, have you got a time frame that you want to be at a certain level? What's the plan? No time frame. Um, we've always just said we want to get the championship and we will get there. It's better not to put a time frame on it. Realistically, where we are at the moment would be crazy to be holding championship football. So even if we went up a league to League One, we'd be like, you know, welcoming Sunderland. We've only got 1,200 away spaces. When we play the big clubs already at our league, they sell out within 30 minutes. If we played Sunderland or someone like that, I imagine it would sell out within about two minutes. Really, think we want to get there as quickly as possible, but we're not going to rush it. The new stadium will provide a much better uh, platform to play championship football. It's just off Junction 13 of the M5, so people can access it. We're looking at different ways of getting there, so cycle routes, uh, train stations, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're going to get the championship. We're just not, not too fussed about when that happens. So yourself, obviously, you joined in 2018 at Forest Green at age 30, is that right? Yeah. So that made you the youngest CEO in, in English football. Was that something that you were really conscious of or did it, did it put you off or anything or did it strive you on? I don't think it did anything, really. Um, I think uh, it, it was, a, I guess, it's quite a cool tagline um, to have. Um, and it's it gained quite a lot of attention at the time. And... Yeah, for me, it was just weird. I've, I've always been a football fan. Uh, I played for Forest Green in the under-18s 12 years before I joined, and the setup then was very different. They were a National League team uh, training at Plot Court in Oxtals, uh, in Gloucester, and they had Jack Russell as the goalkeeping coach, the, the cricket, uh, cricket player turned yeah, artist. Yeah. But it was nowhere near as much of a professional setup as it is now. So I sort of went full circle on it, and then just one day 
the opportunity arose and it, it fitted what I needed perfectly and it fitted what they needed perfectly. So yeah, it's been a really interesting time. And what was your journey to get to there in terms of your business background? What was your, you know, did you go to university or just straight from school? How did you get into business? Certainly got nowhere near university. I just got a few GCSEs to my name and then um, I wanted to be a footballer, as referenced a minute ago, um, but didn't quite have the uh, behavioural um, now that in my teens I was, I was pretty badly behaved. So I ended up working, I left school at 16 and then worked every job you can imagine in and around Cheltenham and Gloucester. I worked at JJB, I worked at Argos, I worked at the pasty shop and I just couldn't make, I couldn't make anywhere stick. So I started my first um, companies in my 20s. And then I sold one of those to my co-founder in when I just before I turned thirty in, in the media world. But I'd already built up a fairly, I guess not. It's not. It's not going to uh, take over the world. But I always had a fascination fascination with property, so I built up a property portfolio in the background in my twenties, which I've still got now, and I still um, do quite a lot with. So yeah, I sort of left school, failed miserably at working for other people, built some companies, and um, invested in property. No, that's good. I mean, everyone everyone gets to some, where they need to go in different ways, don't they? I mean, football's obviously very different, I guess, now in terms of its professionalism, in terms of what people eat, and obviously being vegan as well. Do you think if you had the time again, would it be different now? Was it just, was it just growing up, you think that would always been the case? It just wasn't the right time for you, I guess? Well, in terms of... Well, I guess when, when people are younger now sort of come into football, I don't know, it might be different, perhaps lower down the league, but it's very... So they just be very, very disciplined, don't you? I mean, back in the back in the day, shall we say, when you had the likes of, um, mm-hmm. you know, Arsenal, that sort of Tony Adams and uh, Arsenal, these joke about sort of drink the drinking culture, if you like, and, and Manchester yeah. United, the drinking culture, which you don't really see in football clubs anymore. Do you think, obviously, with that not perhaps being around now, that the situation would have been different for you, or maybe? Um, I mean, interesting stat is Tony Adams is a, is a Forest Green fan. Uh, he lives quite locally, so um, he comes to a couple of games a season. Um, so it's quite interesting you mention him. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of in terms of me, I mean, I look at I was a I was a good player, um, and probably could have made it at maybe a lower league level. But then I, and I'm sure you might know the same. You look back at your childhood and you think, how did someone? Like, you know, you think of a player that you know is really talented in whatever sport it might be, and you think, why didn't they make it? Um, and it is always down to that discipline. So they might be the most gifted player in your five-a-side team, 11-a-side team, whatever. But it really is just tenacity and just not giving up. And I don't think I had that drive to not give up. I think once I got rejected once, I just I just sacked it off and went and worked at Argos. Mm. No, that's... Uh, did, but did you, I mean, you said obviously you love football. Did you always think... Or did you always have in the back of your mind that you'd quite like to get into it in some shape or form? No, I, n- I never really believed it was a possibility, so I'd never thought about it. Um, it was it just it was happenstance that an opportunity arose where it suited both parties. Um, like I said I just um, I just sold my share in, in the company. Um, I was working on property in the background, but not doing a lot else. I was trying to take a bit of downtime for the first time, and I got bored very quickly. Um, and it just seemed such a for me. It was the it was the green credentials and and the potential commercially for the for the brand of Forest Green that fascinated me, um, and I've been fascinated in the past why football clubs and the industry and as a whole doesn't make profits um, because it really should because it's it's got such massive fan bases. So yeah, I, I looked at it as a as a real opportunity to challenge myself again and get myself off the sofa. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it's been really interesting. But like you say, it's a it's a very different industry to um, the typical business world. And has it turned out? Did you have any expectations when you went went into it, and uh, in terms of what the role would involve, and has it been very different to what you expected? How have you found it? 
you yeah i couldn't even i'd need a, i'd need a whole probably 10 hours with you to describe the full industry it's uh it is um it is a business first and foremost uh the commercial arm of it so the club has to fund um what happens out on the pitch that's the most basic way to put it but no i had no preconceived ideas um i my eyes have been open to a lot of things since but when you strip it back it's it's a commercial entity it needs to perform and it's something that a lot of people live for and that's the difference that i found is the passion of a fan versus a customer can be both a good thing and a bad thing yeah and did you know before you took the role did you know dale vince outside of the role or is that the first time you met him when you when you literally joined? the first time i met him met him twice then i started i just got given him a work mobile and a work laptop um and was told to go and run a football club um which was perfect for me because I'd, I'd never worked for anyone before um and i needed i needed that autonomy i need to feel like an entrepreneur still <clears throat> and dale is is one of the best entrepreneurs around um thinks very differently probably the smartest guy i've ever met and um we just got on he's very mission focused i'm very i guess commercially focused so putting those two together work has, has worked really well my understanding is he kind of when he took the club over to start with it was perhaps a, could be a temporary thing or he's helping the club out as opposed to it actually being the situation that it is now is he did he have a following of the club a love for the club at all or was it before he took it over or was it more just the community I'm, he wanted to help the community out yeah, I, I wouldn't know about his love for the club before, but he, to say to say he absolutely loves it now and that it is um, a massive focus for him and is would be an understatement. He it, he's got so much going on, but Forest Green is always uh, front of mind for him. Um, and as you say, yeah, he didn't plan on buying the club; it needed help. Uh, he was the local guy that could help it. Helped it once. They came back for more money, and then that's where he decided that it wasn't a short-term rescue package they needed. They needed um, new ownership. So. Um, yeah, and since then he just he lives and breathes it. And have you changed your in terms of your lifestyle? Were you vegan before you, or are you vegan? Or and have, <laughs> did, were you before coming into it, or have you had to change your lifestyle? No, I certainly wasn't before, um, and I didn't plan to when I joined. Um, but when you realise how good vegan vegan food can be and how far it's come, um, whether it's being made freshly by the club or whether you go to a supermarket now and you look in the frozen section. Um, it, yeah, I'm probably 95% uh, vegan now, not through a conscious change, just realizing that it's the right thing to do. Um, and just being around the club makes you realize that it's, it's actually quite easy and you feel better for it. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people around me has, have also tried it as well. And they've maybe not gone vegan, but they've gone vegetarian. And yeah, it's a really interesting change, both physically and mentally. We did the January. Uh, if we watched yeah, the um, Game Changers film, I don't know if you've. Yep seen that and yeah. uh, which was like you say a real eye-opener in terms of you know elite athletes and the stereotypes behind that and having to you know eating lots of meat and it's just not not necessary or not required and uh, yeah we try and do it try and eat certainly make a conscious effort to eat more sort of vegetarian slash vegan if we can so um, I think it's where a lot of people are going as well it seems to be from what I can see certainly on social media more and more people are trying to or embracing it and, and take it up yeah, it's uh, it's gone from being almost like a fad to then being a trend to now actually being a way, a real lifestyle choice that people can make quite much more easily now. Um, some of the vegan products out there are, you know, for me, if there's no compromise, then everyone would go vegan or vegetarian. If, if, it's, if the price isn't more expensive and the quality is better, then why wouldn't you change? And I think we're getting to a point now where that equilibrium will, will start to take effect. Um, so all the corn products, uh, Linda McCartney does some amazing stuff. So yeah, I think we'll see, see a massive shift over the years.
Yeah, well, I was going to finish off with a couple of quick fire vegan questions. Those are on the subject. I'll ask you now. So, do you have a favourite vegan recipe or meal that you, you know, always like? I don't even. I don't know whether it's vegan, uh, but it's vegetarian, um, and I only recently found it. It's Linda McCartney. It's really basic. So, you, I'm not a cook. It's Linda McCartney's shredded duck. Uh, it's probably my favourite. I probably have that three or four times a week. But in terms of the, f- that's something I cook myself. But in terms of food at the club, there's a million different things. They, the, we've got a really good head chef there um, who is naturally a vegan, and she makes amazing stuff. So yeah, I don't know if you've been to the club, but you should definitely come up and try it. No, no, I definitely will. That sounds really good. And the favourite uh, chef, I guess you just answered that. That's you, you um, head chef at Forest Green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Jade, it's Jade Crawford, our favourite, yeah, our favourite chef. Um, yeah, no, she's amazing. But we've had. We've had lots. We've been lucky to have lots of chefs come down and cook because we've had uh, Jamie Oliver. We've had Saturday Morning Kitchen. We're looking at doing Master Chef stuff. But no, I don't really have a favorite one apart from Jade Crawford at Forest Green. And you mentioned just finally Cheltenham that you're from. Is that is that <laughs> the biggest game of the season? The uh, El Glossico. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it probably is for them. Um, <laughs> but um, it's it, it's it's always an interesting game uh, personally for me because I used to. You know, I've, I've, I've sort of grown up in Cheltenham, so I. I I know know a lot of people there, but it brings a lot of intrigue for the fans. But I think that game, along with Swindon, and then playing the bigger, you know, the so-called bigger clubs in the league like Bradford, that kind of stuff. But yeah, El Glasgow is always in um, front of mind when people check out the fixture list. And you got the bragging rights uh, at the end of last year for that one, didn't you? We have, yeah, and um, yeah, we did in November. We went there and we won, which was um, a very good day out. But depending on what happens this season, it may be that they go up on a points per per game average. Um, so, and if not, then we're going to have to we're going to have to play our Glossco behind closed doors when they come to us in a couple of weeks. Not quite the same, is it? But uh, no, it might, it might it might be it might be a more enjoyable affair, I think. <laughs> well, Henry, best of luck for the rest of the season, whenever that happens. Um, it's been really great chatting to you, and uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting again soon. Since Henry and I spoke on the 13th of May, a decision was subsequently made on the 15th by the Football League as to how the season will actually finish, uh, which obviously differs as to how Henry had hoped uh, and expected it might. Uh, So perhaps I'll try and get Henry's thoughts on that uh, another time. Uh, In the meantime, do please subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss hearing from our next great guest. This podcast was brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers of Cheltenham. We provide personal insurance for high-value homes and contents including fine art, collectibles, jewellery and watches and for commercial insurance a variety of sectors including commercial property, liability and construction. Visit our website ajamesinsurance.co.uk and see the link to it in our show notes or follow us on all the usual social media channels to find out how we can help with all your insurance requirements.